You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Welcome to episode 50 of the Library Pros. I'm Sally Turbot, and I'm from Turbot and Duck, the library podcast in Australia, and I am your host for this episode. That's right. It's Chris and Bob's turn to sit in the hot seats. Hi, Chris and Bob. Hey, Sally. Hey, Sally. How are you? Okay, so we're definitely not at Sachem today. Instead, we are coming to you from good old Long Island, New York, in the United States. And, oh, man, come on. You threw that word in there. (laughs) Just let her say it. (laughs) Yadalunga? Yadalunga. Yadalunga. Sorry. It's my Long Island accent coming through. Yadalunga, Australia. (laughs) The Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to join our email subscription service on our website, thelibrarypros.com. And please consider leaving a review and tell a friend or colleague because word of mouth is how how people learn about us. And please check us out on Twitter at at thelibrarypros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. So when Chris asked me to be a guest, we threw around some ideas of what we could talk about and we also asked our social media friends to send in some questions. Some of them were interesting and probably not terribly appropriate, so we'll we'll figure out whether we'll use them later on, but let's get started with these questions. Uh, Tell everyone about how the Library Pro started. What made you think, you know what, two guys from Long Island need to talk libraries and tech and share it with the world? Actually, oh, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> it was your yeah, idea. <laughs> yeah, it was my idea, my big idea. So sure. I was sitting at the reference desk when I was still working at the Longwood Public Library, and um, my Android phone had died, and I had just gotten my first iPhone. And I said, well, let me check out this podcast thing. And uh, when I went home that night, I listened. I found all these different podcasts about libraries. Some of them were good, and some of them were, were not so good. So I thought, why don't we have a podcast to talk about the things that I like to talk about, which is more technology, because the library podcasts that are out there talking about accession numbers and cataloging were just like, <laughs> put me to sleep, you know? So yeah. um, mm-hmm. I had the idea at the reference desk at Longwood, and um, I just started thinking about it, and it took me, you know, on and off about a year and a half to, uh, to come up with all the different stuff, but I knew right from the start I wanted it to be a podcast about libraries and technology because there weren't a lot of libra- uh, library podcasts like that out there. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. what Bob and I do when we do the TIFF meetings, uh, that's Technology Information Forum that we do here in Suffolk County. So I thought, why not take that idea and turn it into a podcast and interview some interesting people? And just for the record, I thought I'd be talking to, I would be podcasting to three people, two of which would be my own family. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, what do you mean when you said um, that you took you kind of like a year and a half to get everything together? Do you mean to sort of research how you actually put together a podcast and what you need? or? Yeah, exactly. So I couldn't yeah. find a real resource that was out there that said, this is how you do it. It's step A, step B, step C. So I kind of had to put mm-hmm. all the parts together and, and put on my librarian hat and, and do all the research to figure it out. Because just like everybody mm-hmm. else who starts a podcast, oh, well, how do I upload my podcast to iTunes? Well, that's not how it works. So when I found that out, it's like, okay, setback number one. And then I figured, hmm. then I realized I needed an audio hoster. Oh, setback number two. And then, you know, all the other pitfalls and setbacks that you have, like, well, how am I going to record this? I want every guest to have uh, a microphone. So I'll just get 
a bunch of Blue Yeti microphones. And then I found out that, mm-hmm. guess what? You can only plug one Blue Yeti in per laptop because of the, the yeah. registry <laughs> issue. They, they all have the same registry or serial number. So you'd have to actually uh-huh. send the others back to Blue Yeti to have them reprogrammed so they would have different um, registration numbers or serial numbers so then you could use them on one laptop. So, yeah. um, yep. so our first podcast, our first episode was actually on one Blue Yeti. Mm, yeah, I remember that. That had three different adapters that went to a powered USB hub, which then went out to um, to my phone, believe it or not. And I was still using the same app we use now, Boss Jock Pro, but I was doing it on my phone. And it worked, and it was a miracle that it did work. But, you know, I like Bob and I like Ellen. I just don't want to get that close to them because you have to be <laughs> right on top of that microphone. So right. I yeah, because you do I, have to sit way closer than what you think. Uh, it's like, we you know, if you're at a meeting or a, a conference or something and, you know, they're handing the microphone around and you have to really put it up really close against your face for it to yeah. actually do what it's supposed to do. It takes a while to get used to sitting, you know, really with something really close to your face. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. So um, after the first episode, I was like, well, back to the drawing board. So I went <laughs> yeah. and, and Googled the heck out of soundboards that use the iPad or use an iPhone. And believe it or not, I found the the portable, what I call now our portable rig when we're not at Sachem, uh, to do the recording. And it's um, it's great. It has a slot for an iPad. Uh, it's more designed for like the 9.7-inch iPads. It's like the iPad 4. Mm-hmm. But it worked great because it goes from lightning connector right into the board. So that was really exciting for me. And I said, oh, we're going to test this out. And then it just so happens the second episode... Uh, I was invited to go way up north to the Canadian border in New York to speak um, about uh, local history up in a little town called Canton, New York. Uh, and if you don't know the story, go check out episode two. It's like a mystery. Hmm. And uh, and it was the first time I actually had done it. So here I am. I drove like 500 miles not knowing if it was going to work. And it worked. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was a long process. Uh, but I just wanted to do it because... Well, first, I wanted to do it because people weren't talking about what I wanted to talk about on the podcast. And then I wanted to do it because everybody said, hey, hey how's that podcast going? <laughs> yeah, that's going to work. <laughs> so it became more of a, I'm going to do this. Not am I, am I going to do this. Um, I'm going to show all the people who don't believe that I can get this done and I'm going to get it done. So, um, Bob, what, what did you think when Chris came to you and said that he wanted to do a podcast and did you want to be involved? Oh, yeah. Knowing Chris, I, I figured any idea that he was really this passionate about was going to work out. And um, I was happy and, and kind of honored that he actually asked me because there's a, a million people, uh, half a million people that are probably more qualified than I am. And, and the other half, um, you know, <laughs> were just fun. So when he asked me, I said, I think it's a great idea. And uh, and as he got it rolling, I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic to uh, to kind of fit a, a niche area that just wasn't being served by by anything else out there. Um, so I think it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, you've certainly had a huge wide variety of guests and, um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting, you know, looking at what's coming when, you know, when Chris, when, when your accounts announce, you know, who's coming next, it's, it's always a, someone that I think, oh yeah, I actually do want to hear from that, that person and hear about their work. So, you know, um, it's, and it is, and I, and I also know how difficult it is to find guests and and to convince people um, to come and speak. That's another testament to uh, to Chris's 
um, persuasiveness, I suppose, you know, he finds them, he digs them up and he, and he hounds them down on Twitter and, and, um, Facebook and, stuff like, and, and they respond. Yeah. You know? So he's got a great yeah. way, great way of doing that. I think that's, that's, how, how, he found you. that's, that's how he found us. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I found, when I found Turbid and Duck, I was listening, I was, I was trying to find more podcasts to listen to when I said, Ooh, wait a minute, mm. they're in Australia. Let me listen to them. And I was hooked from the word go. It was just, you guys are hysterical. He was very excited when he found you guys. Oh, I can't believe this. We're going to be doing a podcast. And I'm with, like, with I'm, a group I'm, in Australia. I'm just going to write them and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are so stupid. You wrote back. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is, as I say, history. Definitely. History. <laughs> totally. And, you know, it, yeah, we're still got to work towards an actual in in um, you know all four of us in the Sachem podcast booth. Ooh, that would surely be the ultimate goal. Start the I GoFundMe think. now. Exactly. Start the GoFundMe. Yeah, or just you know, we're available to sponsors for sponsors. There you <laughs> don't go. Want to pay for yeah, don't pay for pay commercials. For just pay for us to get Sally in. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, Amy. That would be. Yeah. So, so, what do you both enjoy about podcasting? Like, what's your, what are your favorite? parts of it i guess i enjoy exactly what you just said sally about the variety of guests mm. that we have um and and their backgrounds it was so cool we had um remember dr heinz sure. uh, Chris from Absolutely. patrick medford school district he's a superintendent over at um actually my home school district and um he was just fantastic to have on there because his background um is so dedicated to education and changing the way that that children um you know go through school and um it was so great to just have him kind of out of library land, you know, but it's still in the educational marketplace. It was just great to have somebody like that. Mm. Yeah, he was yeah. a great guest. And, uh, I mean, there have been so many. Um, the, the thing that shocked me was, you know, when I first started this, the first um, first six to eight months, it was mostly Long Island people. So I was trying to just pull from the people that I knew to say, hey, you want to be on the podcast? And then it mm -hmm. turned – that's – Kind of when we transitioned over to uh, to Levittown in Nassau County, and then we got the Le the, the Nassau libraries involved. And uh, after that, you know, I was like, well, you know what? Let me see who else I can find. And Ellen Druda, which is eleven dollars, um, mm. <laughs> had turned me on to a couple people. Like, um, oh God, there were so many people that she turned us on to. David Lee King being one of them. And I said, well, wait a minute. If I can get David Lee King, you know, this just it, it kind of opened up the world for me to say, where can I get resources on this? And, and then I said, well, what about the movers and shakers list? Because I love looking at so many, how many different people are doing things and what they're doing that's innovative because that's what gives me some ideas. And I said, well, what if I reach out to one of them? Because they always have their Twitter handle on the, um, on the it's posting. Live, yeah. yeah, it's, it's there. So mm. um, I reached out to a few of them and they all pretty much said yes. And then I'm thinking, yeah. oh, they're going to want to be paid. I don't have any money, <laughs> but uh, thankfully nobody said they could have a speaking fee or anything. So that, that's really kind of nice too. Um, mm. But it really is, it, it's shocking the response that you get from uh, people mm -hmm. when you ask them to be on. Like Carlos Galeano was great too, or Galena, I'm sorry, I always say his name wrong, who's over in Portland, Oregon. Um, he moved her in Shaker in I think 2017 or 16. I'm sorry, Carlos, if I messed that up. Uh, he was a fascinating uh, guest because he talked about just interacting with people and communicating. And I think sometimes people forget that in library land you have to communicate with people. And it's more than just sitting at the desk and answering a question and saying next. It's about developing relationships. So he was really interesting to talk to, and that stroke a chord with me. But mm -hmm. even more than that, um, like our first foray into international was when we had um, Claire McKenzie on with the International Librarians uh, 
Mm-hmm. I forget the name of the rest Network. of it. Network, right. So, Network, yeah. And it was with uh, her and her two cohorts, whose names escape me at the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> Allison and Kate. Yes, Allison and Kate. So Good save. And that yeah. was that was actually <laughs> our first foray into really going international, and we had to deal with four time zones at the same time. Mm. So that was kind of like yeah. Wow. Once you get into multiple um, the multiple time zones, it gets really tricky because once we go into daylight savings here, um, Amy lives in Queensland and they don't have daylight savings, so that gets tricky. We've got an hour difference in, and then if we add in someone you know from New Zealand or from America or something, then we're yeah. The multiple time zones is really hard. <laughs> it gets wild. It gets really wild. Yeah. But everyone's been real good so sports there, about it too. Yeah, were there episodes, you know, when you look at your stats um, for downloads, does it surprise you what is most downloaded? Because that's what we find with our podcast is that um, when we look at that list, it's, yeah, we're, we're just surprised at, at what has been most popular. Often it's not what we expect. Well, with our podcast, you know, when you have the big names like the David Lee Kings and the Allison McGreenas, um, obviously, they're going to draw more people because of the name recognition. I mean, you Google them and, you know, mm-hmm. they come up. Uh, but what's really kind of neat is some of the other episodes, like um, the episode I did with Chris Kratz um, mm-hmm. when I was just interviewing him. That got a lot of attention. Now, Chris is kind of a, a local podcasting um, guru here on the island with his local history podcast and his um, Radio Tower podcast and um, and he's been such a great facilitator for podcasts on the island. Um, and then there's the one with the ever-famous Melanie Cardone uh, from the sure. Longwood Public Library. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it seems as though every time we have an episode, um, her her uh, episode kind of floats to the surface a little bit too, and she gets some, some good numbers. And uh, here yeah, on Long Island, yeah, it is, isn't it? How you do a mention, yeah. or even if you mention another podcast, like I'm hoping now that people heard that episode two with Canton Public Library, a uh, Canton, Canton Free Library, I'm sorry. Um, maybe people will go and search back all the way to episode two and listen to that. Because that's one of my favorite episodes because mm-hmm. it, was, it was telling a story some, about how um, my father was connected to this library way upstate and he had never been there. So that's all I'm going to say about it because I don't want to give it away if you haven't listened yeah, to, to it. Yeah, don't spoil it. It's yeah. definitely worth a listen. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Mm. But, but it, obviously the people with the big names get the big stats. But after that, it's kind of fun to see um, when you're looking at your stats, the cycle of, okay, you released a, an episode and all of a sudden all your stats shoot straight up and then they taper down again. And then you okay. release the next one and it shoots up and it tapers down. So you could look at the bar graph and actually see the day that a podcast is released. And that's nice yeah. because that means you, know you have that, a following, yeah. you know, and people are downloading. Yes. Yeah. And people don't necessarily um, download them all in order either. That's right. Or listen in order. They sort of dip in and out topic-wise. So, yeah. So what are the hard parts about what we, about podcasting? What are the challenges? I think we've covered a few already. Have we missed any? I don't know. What do you think, Bob? Like we've got the tech. We've got finding guests, finding the time. Like it's, you know. Yeah, time is a big thing. It's squeezing it in with work and family, and and trying to mm-hmm. try to not do them on a Friday night, so you know, because you're not exhausted at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's just a matter of um, finding the right sweet spot to meet up with people. And and guests have always been very gracious in saying, you know, in, in with timing to come on. And it's more along the lines of just trying to get Bob and myself either in the same room or on the same audio feed. 
um, mm-hmm. because it's hard. We, you know, we both have families with kids and, and wives who are like, you're doing another one this week. So, <laughs> I know, but my sure, wife is very been, supportive women. <laughs> yeah. So my wife's been very, very supportive. It's just sometimes when you do two, more than two in a week, then, you know, it starts to put a little strain on things. But what would you say, yeah. Bob? What's one of what the about hardest you, things? Bob? Yeah. yeah. Apparently it's Bob's hear? equipment working. Bob's. That's the hottest part. That's oh, the, I can hear him. You there, Bob? We lost Bob. I see him on the screen there, but we can't hear you, Bob. Can nope. you go? Nope, you went in and out there, buddy. Is that on? How about now? There you go. Go ahead. Good? Yep. All right. I okay. was just saying uh, the rescheduling can be sometimes difficult when folks have to cancel last minute, right? Mm-hmm. We've had a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah, that's the challenge. And equipment trouble, yeah. for sure. Yeah, just a little <laughs> yes, bit, right? Yeah, we just had a live demonstration of Yeah, and I'm using, like, the best microphone, a Mac laptop, the best headset, and none of it works. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, That's course. awesome. Like, we, yeah. we actually have a Google yeah. Sheet oh. to keep track of uh, our episodes because sometimes, here's a little breaking down the fourth wall, sometimes we don't record our episodes in order. Um, mm. so and you I told know. them now. How dare Chris. you, Chris? How dare you? you? Do? How dare you? <laughs> but we have a Google Sheet that, that kind of lays it all out, and you know I color code it because I'm a color coding kind of guy, and uh, uh-huh. we see who's coming up, the, the time, the, the time and date that they're on, uh, and you know what their episode is, and just just so we can keep it all straight, and then we just share it on on Google Sheets. It just makes so much yeah. more sense. We do sort of something similar, but it's with Trello in Trello, not on a spreadsheet. But yeah. the same, we have we track it all that way. So, yeah. So I recently wrote a blog post about the three lessons that I've learned from our podcast guests. And those three things were that being interviewed isn't easy and that people are very generous with their time. And also that I've all, I'm always surprised and very happy when people are really honest about their work. We, we, I, I always appreciate a conversation where people talk about the things that didn't work because I think... Um, it's too easy to talk about all the good fluffy stuff all the time and forget that actually a lot of the work that we do is hard and we learn, we make mistakes and we have to learn from them. So what have you learned from your guests? Jeez. Uh, one thing is hard work pays off. Um, regard, usually when we're talking to somebody, they've done something extraordinary. And mm-hmm. uh, as much as I like to hear about the victories, I also like to hear about the failures because – yeah. Because, you know, I've said it a billion times on this podcast, failing is not a bad thing. It's just a way to learn from your mistakes and move forward. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, one thing, one of the really great episodes we did was with Mr. Herb Biblow, who has passed away. And, uh, that was a great too, episode. Yeah, I loved it. Not, not too long after we recorded, he passed away. And yeah. uh, he, we had no idea that he served in World War II, uh, told us his, his whole life story, and you know, and he struggled through a lot to get to where he was. So that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mike Hines, uh, superintendent of the Patrick Medford School District, talking about um, unstructured play and tr- and teaching the entire child. That was um, mm-hmm. that was really great too. And you know, some of the fun stuff we've done too, like at the library conferences when we've been able to do some mm-hmm. podcasting. You know, the live that, ones are a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it, it always is a good time because you never know who's going to walk in the door. 
And you know what? I mean, they're, when we have guests, uh, their honesty really kind of strikes me because they're not afraid to say, you know, that they did struggle through a bunch of things to to finally find success. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so. Yeah, true. I often would like to think I would like to attend a whole conference where we just talk about here's all the stuff that went wrong. Yeah, that's you right. Know? And obviously, you can talk about that how you fixed it, but I think it's important to have the the, the first part first yeah, which right. is you know we tried this thing it was a total flop but right. then, then it actually made us go back and consult with our community more or look at our collection and actually identify the gaps or you know work a little bit harder or try something different to, to solve the problem yeah and you probably did it better the second time yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so what's your best advice for someone who wants to start a podcast is it don't do it no no not at all i would say don't give up <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, when uh, yeah. when we were at Nyla, Chris and I said just, I mean, I think we both agree, just do it. You know, get out there, get it going and, and tweak it later uh, and understand yes. that it won't, be, it won't be perfect. It may not even be good, but it'll be a starting place for you to measure improvement from. And I think that's that's exactly what Chris did when he started this whole project. He had an iPhone. He had Boss Jock. He had some stuff. Hey, let's sit down and record an episode. And um, mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't so bad. But but now where we are now, my gosh, it's it's been a huge growth. So, um, yeah. yeah. And I think like you've given the access, like, like given the technology that you can find and there's a lot of free things that you can use to create podcasts. You can always, like you said, you can always just start and then fix it as you go along and tweak yep. it and go, Oh, actually that program didn't work or that, you know, there's just a million ways of doing it. It's always interesting hearing how people put their podcasts together because I have never come across someone who does it exactly the same as we do. And when we talked about it at Nyla, we, we told them, you know, you don't have to get, you don't even have to be comfortable with it. You know, you don't even have to know what you're doing. Just sit down and, and get something started, you know, record something, mm-hmm. play it back, listen to it, critique it. Because if you don't do anything mm-hmm. or you wait until it's perfect or your long list of excuses, uh, you know, have all been answered, you'll never do it. Yes. So true. What about you, Chris? What's your advice? Well, don't give up. Uh, always think about how you're going to fine tune what you're doing because, usually when the way something starts off is never the way it is when you finish. So like our uh-huh. podcast started with one blue Yeti microphone with the three of us talking into it. Yeah. Um, and the format was just a little bit different. And we've tweaked it along the way where we've gone from being a podcast that went for an hour and a half to an hour and 40, which people were like, it's too damn long. You just got to shorten up to learning from that uh-huh. and, li- and actually listening and saying, okay, how can we keep the same content rolling and keep the same feel yet? shorten it up but not make it feel like we're cutting people off or mm-hmm. shortening it so you know you're always fine-tuning yeah. so never give up never lose sight of what that theme is for your podcast either I, I we've gone off-road a few times with some guests that you know maybe like Mike Hines or her biblo or um, some other people like that but we always try to tie it back in at the end and I always yeah. say have a shtick have something like our our top 10 list uh, have something that uh, is going to define what you're doing, whether it's yes. silly, silly music or, a, you know, some some like gag or something that you do, or maybe, you know, even throw in a fart sound or something. Uh, have something that becomes a shtick because that's what people are going to associate you with, yeah. regardless mm-hmm. of the guest. So you're you, saying that you want people to associate fart sounds with the library price? Nice job, Chris. That, that's Chris speaking, personally. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Chris. Oh, he's pulling a sad face. Don't pull a sad face, Chris. <laughs> there you go. There's he's my look- fart sound. Yeah, he's looking for his fart sound. 
thank you. That's lovely. <laughs> so classy, right? <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Are we going to take a break? You want to take a break, Chris? Sure, we can take a break. All right, so let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking about library careers and how to make your job your own. All right, we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, this is Chris from the Library Pros, and I just wanted to let everybody know about something that Delphi University is doing. Uh, they're celebrating Archives Month with an XFR Collective Adelphi University Library uh, archiving program. Learn how to preserve your memories by digitizing home movies, photographs, and slides. XFR Collective partners with artists, activists, and groups to lower the barriers in preserving at-risk audiovisual media, especially unseen, unheard, and unmarginalized works. By providing low-cost duplication services and fostering support for your community. So they're going to have this program on Saturday, October 6th, 6th at Adelphi University. Uh, they're doing a presentation from 1 to 2, and at 2 to 3.30 they'll be screening. And 3.30 to 5 p.m. will be a reception with a Q&A. So again, it's at Adelphi University, the Nexus Building, room 239 in Garden City, New York. Check it out. It should be fun. We're back. Are you coping with this new format? <laughs> Struggling. So yes, Aww. we are back, and Sally is going to take over. <laughs> so do I get the job as guest host from across the Pacific whenever I want to? Absolutely, You're doing a hell of a lot better than we do. Guaranteed. Yeah, we're going to get a lot more <laughs> listeners than we got before. I can tell you. How funny is it that she considers us across the Pacific, and I'm thinking that like she's across the Atlantic and across Europe and Africa. We're looking at the other direction, and she's looking at from behind us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because why would you go the other way? Well, we, we're, the on the Atlantic sea. we're on the Atlantic Ocean. It doesn't so. make any sense. Yeah. I'm just looking at how I would fly there. Oh, yeah. We just got to get you yeah. to, in the States, and then once you're in the States, we can, we can get a podcast going here. I don't know. I, I might burst into flames if I tried to enter into America. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> it's not that bad. So, um... When we were planning our ideas for the episode, we talked about making your job your own and being the something champion in your library, which is um, something, which is something, something, something uh, that I think is really important. So let's expand on that a little bit. How do you put your stamp on what you do? Like if you're, um, you know, you've come new into an organization, when you into a role, like how do you make it? the Chris role or the Bob role? Wow. That's, that's a hard question. Um, it depends he on, is. you know, I'm not, I'm not sorry. Um, <laughs> very nice. So nice job, Sally. <laughs> I, I think part of it is, is dependent on what your role is that you were hired for. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, one, one philosophy that I always learned from my dad is, was that, you know, if you're hired to sweep the floor, you'd be the best damn floor sweeper there is. And do your best yeah. all the time because if you mm -hmm. don't, you're just going to be another floor sweeper. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when you go into doing something, 
whatever you do, whether it's just sitting at the reference desk or whether it's, you know, running 3D printers or it's doing collection development, you, we're lucky that in library land, you can put a certain style on something and hopefully mm -hmm. people notice. Um, you know, the way I do work at the reference desk is different than most of my colleagues. Uh, and I think more than anything else, the patrons notice the difference. So if I'm answering a question at the reference desk versus somebody else, I may do something and find different sources and approach the the patron in a different manner than some of my colleagues. Now, it's not saying that mine is mm -hmm. better or worse. It's just different. And mm -hmm. I think right. a yeah. lot of it has to do with personality. So, you know, trying to, to make this a something champion, I don't know that I could ever have the word champion put next to my name, but... I could honestly say that when I do something, I try to put a little bit of a crisp spin on it. And some people like it, some people don't, you know, but you can't make everybody happy all the time. Whatever you're going to do, do it wholeheartedly and do it with enthusiasm and do it. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you're miserable where you are, find the good stuff. Find that that three percent nugget that you, you like to do in this terrible job if you have a horrible, terrible job. You know, if you're working in a yeah. library and it's not a great library, focus on what you like to do there, whether it's interacting with patrons who actually aren't jerks or, mm. you know, fixing people's phones and iPads and tablets and computers. Find those nuggets and then just kind of do it because eventually mm -hmm. the bosses are either going to say, stop doing that. You're spending too much time doing that. Or they'll say, hey, wait a minute. This guy knows what he's talking about with this one thing and nobody else seems to want to do it. So let's give it to him. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You just did a whole switch switcheroo on them where you're doing something you like to do. You realize nobody else likes to do it. So now you get to do the thing you love that everybody else hates. It's, just gave our yeah. secret out. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. all about giving I up. I suppose I, that the angle I was coming from is exactly what you're saying in that um, the something champion comes from uh, in a in – a, in all libraries, you have you we're required to be across an enormous amount of resources, mm -hmm. e-resources, maker spaces, story time, collection development, weeding, shelving, uh, readers advisory, customer service. There's all those things, yeah. and you know if you're working in a team, um, it's exactly that. Pick one thing that you think that you want to learn about and get really good at it. So get really good at um, all the ebook platforms because they're all different and be and exactly as Chris said you know be the go-to ebook platform person you know and just just you, that that's your sort of special mark become known for that that was that was what I was thinking but I guess Bob for you it's slightly different because you're the IT guy in the library so you know how do you put your put your stamp on your work because I am interested in how you um You've obviously had to learn the language and the acronyms of libraries and all that sort of stuff to be able to work in your yeah. library. Yeah, definitely. You know what? I come from a library background. I've worked uh, in in public service for the last uh, twenty four years, uh, and in public libraries for the last for the last twenty or so. Um, so okay. it was kind of easy, right? So I mean, we kind of set ourselves out to be like the champions of service, right? So use the champions of something. Mm -hmm. um, and in library land, we like to be the champions of yes. And I think for like for far too long, folks have heard no, right? In libraries, we've talked about this mm -hmm. and done done a lot of um, discussion on this. 
And it's well past the time that we start saying yes more often, you know, and, and I don't mean yes. just willy nilly. Yes, but yes to what the patrons really want. And sometimes they may not even know what they want. You know, it's your it's your job to to go out there. It's our job to go out there and kind of give them a little teaser. And if they respond, then keep going, you know, and keep moving forward. Um, and in some mm-hmm. cases, failing forward. Right. Like we've said in the past, Chris. Absolutely. Um, and so, and there are some champion libraries that excel in saying yes and doing what the patrons really want and giving them what they expect before they even know, you know, what you can do. Um, but it's hardly the norm, you know. So you have a couple standout libraries, uh, but not everybody is is really engaging with the patron and and anticipating their next move or what they might want next, you know. Um, so mm-hmm. at my library over in Setauket on Long Island, that's the Emma Clark Library, we're starting some services and some classes that other libraries have done before, like Streaming 101. And that's just based on, you know, patrons wanting to kind of cut the cord and save some money on, on you know, Cablevision or, or cable, you know, and, and products like that. Um, and finding mm-hmm. alternative ways to use libraries' resources um, in mm-hmm. their home. And, and so that's a response, you know. Um, but to get right back to your question, so yeah, we definitely had to develop a skill set coming from a technology background. Um, most IT yeah. people work in a closet with a server and don't ever see patrons <laughs> or staff members. And yeah. we kind of have the opposite in mind. You know, we want to be out in front of the patron's face, in front of the staff member's face. Um, and from that perspective, it's enabling the staff to serve the patrons better. Um, and when I have uh-huh. interactions with patrons, uh, we kind of go through the same process. We do an interview and we sit them down. How can we help you? You know, let's get you through that. Let's walk. Let's walk through this. Um, and they really appreciate it. You know, it's not like they're not paying you in a sense like they're paying Best Buy to do it. You know, their services uh, come from their tax dollars. Right. But um, they expect a, a, a high caliber of service. And, and we're we're definitely trying to give it to them. So if you if your IT um group, team, people, yeah. uh, you're saying yes. What do you do if, and, and your patrons are wanting you to say yes also, but the people in the middle of the library staff, what do you do if the library staff are saying no? That's a, that's a great question. And you know what? It happens more often than you'd think. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, and I've taken some cues from Chris and, and I think, uh, you know, he probably worked the other way too. Maybe he's taken some from me. You gather up a team of people that want to say yes with you. And so you might get a couple from the reference department, a couple from children's, a couple from technical services, a couple in admin, um, and you get those groups together and you just start doing some things. And then um, one mm-hmm. of our director friends, uh, Helen Cross, and she's now the director of the Half Hollow Hills Library, uh, former director of the Cold Spring Harbor Library. She told us something that said, you've got to make it easier for them to say yes than it is for them to say no. And, and mm-hmm. you've got to give them more reasons on the yes side so they'd look really foolish to say no. You know, and sometimes you deal with that with board members and, and just stubborn staff members that don't want change. And they say, for the last yes. 30 years, we've done this under one so-and-so director or one administrator, and we don't see a reason to change. Well, maybe your patrons do, you know. And so mm-hmm. you develop this little group that wants to, to do new things or wants to do uh, the things that you're, that you're into. And then it just becomes like a virus, you know, and, and the managers start asking questions and directors start asking questions and, and patrons start responding. Now, when patrons respond to a new service, nobody's going to turn them down and say, we don't want to do it anymore. You know, so um, it becomes much easier for a director or a board member or a stubborn staff member to get to jump on board when the patrons are saying, we appreciate this new product. Mm. It sounds like yes, it's the, yeah, it's yeah, the it's, kicking and screaming philosophy that once you get your toe in, hold in, um, and now you have to say yes because admin is now saying say yes. The yeah. the naysayers mm-hmm. are being are coming in kicking and screaming, 
saying, I don't want to, I don't want to. Oh, wait, everybody else is doing it. No, I look like the jerk. Right. So. Yep. I'm the standout now instead of before where, you know. Yes. Yeah, that's a really excellent uh, website called thelibraryboss.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a great resource for getting uh, for advice and on getting people on board, the reluctant tech users to, you know, how to sort of build them up and make them feel like they're empowered and they, they can actually, you know, um, yeah, use technology. It's a it's an excellent um, resource if people want to go check it out. So uh, we've, we talk a lot about transferable skills uh, and, you know, I previously did this role and now I'm going to bring it across and, and apply it um, in the library world. How do you use your skills from other careers? But, Bob, you have really always just been in in public service. Okay, so how have you used your skills from public service um, in your current work? And I think you kind of just covered that, but let's see if we can stretch it out a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit. You know, I, we've, I come from a hands-on background, a long line of uh, family members that have been engineers that solve problems and troubleshoot issues. So um, I've worked for municipalities and school districts and whatnot, and it was always about solving problems. Um, mm-hmm. You know, from, our, from my younger years of, of 17, 18, and 19, I worked uh, for a municipality in Patrog, and we had, we had drains that would always get clogged up, right? And our job was to unclog the drains. And one day we just took the drains off and we allowed it to, you know, flow freely through, through the tunnels that led out into the, uh, into the bay. And that was just mind blowing for people that had never thought to take the drain caps off the drain. Right. And, um, and so (laughs) it's that kind of troubleshooting and problem solving that kind of has always, you know, followed, followed my life. And uh, I enjoy it to use it to, to help patrons and, and to help staff members as well, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a bit of fun. What about you, Chris? Well, I came from a legal background. I um, I worked in uh, New York State Supreme Court for a long time, and uh, uh, before that, I was a paralegal, and, and I did attend law school. Although I didn't uh, make the grade to to graduate, which I'm actually very proud of. Um, and <laughs> it sounds, yeah, right. So there's my first failure. Um, Fell forward, Chris. Uh, I mm-hmm. did. Trust me. Uh, so it's, so taking everything that I had learned, uh, from the legal side of things, uh, it's so much of that is transferable to, to what I do in the library, everything from, you know, going, maybe going to an administrator and saying, you know, the sidewalk's cracked over here. You have a cracked curb. You may want to get that fixed. That's a, that could potentially be a liability to assessing when somebody's angry to, uh, figure out how to either to de-escalate the situation or keep it from becoming a liability. Uh, and mm-hmm. even just in terms of writing, um, being able to write a salient argument or write a salient article or, or just, you know, you're writing up an incident report. You have to write, you know, I like writing it up a certain way just from, from my legal background. And it's also great uh, because you can become a reference point for patrons. Um, now, you can't give legal advice, obviously, when you're sitting at the reference desk, and I could never do that. But there is a delineation between giving legal advice and giving procedural advice. So if somebody's coming mm-hmm. in and asking me, well, how do I, I, I want to change my name. I've been divorced for a while. I didn't put it in my, in my divorce paperwork that I want to change my name back. I'd like to change my name back. How do I do that? Um, I've had this, I've had arguments with, with former colleagues about whether or not it's actually legal advice or not. And it actually isn't because you can go to, the, now you can go to the, the court's website and actually, um, 
there's a step-by-step process, and it's it's literally all procedure. There's no law involved. You have to do a whole bunch of different things, file a whole bunch of different paper. Uh, you have to uh, you have to actually publish it in a newspaper, which I think is hysterical nowadays. Uh, so there's a whole process to that. So I, I had a supervisor at a previous job uh, that said, you just gave legal advice. And I said, well, no, I didn't. And she fought me on it. So I went home, and I remember from my courthouse days, there was a publication that they used to give to all the courtroom clerks that said um, legal advice versus procedural advice, and it was like a handbook. So I went and I made a copy of it, and when she wasn't around, I went and passively, aggressively put it on her desk. Uh, she never <laughs> she never questioned me after that. Oh, I wonder um, why. Hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> and, and not only just with that, just from... Because growing up, my dad, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so we had a lot of side jobs. So just the work ethic mm-hmm. thing, um, and not just in terms of how I would, you know, carry on, um, but helping other people who are maybe looking for mm-hmm. a job or um, are struggling with a business or something like that. You know, it's nice to know that you have mm-hmm. some type of a little bit of a nugget of a background that you could share with them that maybe mm-hmm. will help them in even if it's a small way. Uh, so, you know, I think having that transferable skill from previous careers really helps because most people in library land never really started growing. Nobody really grows up except for somebody like my wife who says, I want to be a librarian when I grow up. Uh, it's usually a second career and we all bring different things to it. We all come from different experiences and different backgrounds. Uh, so I do think that it's, it's immensely important to, to pull upon that previous experience. Um, and, and yeah. Even, I mean, the legal part, you know, blah, 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 who cares? Nobody really, you know, it's not a big deal. And honestly, it's not as relevant as it was, say, five years ago because there's so many resources online now. But I, when they, um, when the library got rid of uh, the New York State statutes, I'm not going to lie, I had a little tear in my eye. But I was <laughs> the only one looking at that and actually being, was enamored with it. So I understood that it had mm-hmm. to go. But I guess the thing with the transferable skills and and that whole second career thing, or maybe someone studied and worked and you know undergraduate and then you know got their their MLIS or something like that after that, is that you're able to interpret information in in whatever differently. So you know my background is in community services and and administration so you know someone can come in and ask a question about you know how do I find the the local migrant resource center or how do I find what is available for my uh, child who has a disability well then I'm coming at that answer from a different direction rather than just the resources that are obviously on the library website and it'll be the same, you know, Bob, with you, with your IT background, you're going to answer it in a different way to someone that doesn't know what you know. It's 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 sort of, I suppose it's important in, in libraries for um, managers and team leaders to be very aware of the background and the skills of their staff because it's very, very diverse and they're all, you can leverage all of them in some way. Yeah, that's right. That's very true. Mm. And it is about leverage. Okay. You know, leveraging is is something that you mm-hmm. have to do because if you don't have any other experience, you know, then what can you really bring to the table when helping a patron? 
Well, I suppose, yeah. Well, well, then they have, then you have to look into what soft skills can you bring to the table. Maybe you're a very empathetic person, or you're very patient, or you're a great communicator, and you're able to, you know, um, speak in a way that makes someone comfortable enough to actually come and ask their question. So yeah. maybe you know the transferable skills are both soft, and then also, you know, the the, the technical or the, the you know the law background or the the tech background. I think it's a it's a big sphere of skills we're talking about yeah and you know some a good point uh to bring up is that just being passionate and kind of driven in your projects and to see them um from the perspective of whom whom they're going to serve so if you're developing mm-hmm. service for patrons you know if you look at it from their perspective and develop it in that direction and you ask yourself how the patrons are going to experience this that's a totally different uh, tone than if you ask staff members how should we do this you know, so if, if you're doing a new project and you ask step members, well, what do, what do you think we should do? You're going to get a different answer than if you looked at it from the patron's perspective. You know, I look back yeah, to the, sure. the, the yeah. databases that we used to have, Chris, on, on Long Island. We used to have a, and we still do, a subscription to to database um, links and whatnot. And we would know about them as staff for, for years. We'd be like, oh, man, these databases, they're they're so great. And, and nobody uses them. And they're, they're they were always <laughs> kind of static. You know, we never got like real big peaks in it. And we started advertising it and throwing it out on social media and bringing it up on our website and and talking to the patrons about databases until we were blue in the face. And then patrons started using databases. They had never heard yeah. of it. And we were mm-hmm. sick of it. And they had never even heard of it. Mm. Because there's lots of roadblocks there for people, you know, just the word database. Yeah. What does that mean? Right, exactly. We started changing the words. Yeah. What am I going to find, find right. in there? Yes. We yeah, started adding absolutely. descriptions to the databases. Like, what are you going to find? Yes. Yeah, yeah, great. Really right. Hmm. Uh, so I think we're going to have another break because we seem to have managed to roll four questions into <laughs> one big fat answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Typical You're Chris awesome. and Bob style. <laughs> Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. So when we come back, we're going to, well, I'm going to ask Chris and Bob the modified 032 list questions. I'm, I'm, I hope that there's at least one Library Pros listener out there who is super excited at this point <laughs> that you guys are finally answer these questions. Uh, the tables have turned. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. we'll be back. <laughs> We are back with Sally Turbot, who is about to put us, Chris and I, through our paces with our modified 032 list. So the questions in the list were inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. Visit their site because they educate and inform the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thanks, LitHub. Wow. That are you ready? Nice that job. sounds so much classier than when we read it. Can you record that? Just <laughs> cut it out, and we'll use it on every single podcast from here in the future. Oh, okay. Then we're going to have to owe Sally money. 
Now we owe Sally money. Yeah, great. Great, and we have to do the conversion. <laughs> yeah, I've oh, got that's a, a fee. Right, yeah, no, we just pays, have to convert. But wait, wait, wait. Pays us yeah. nothing before, we pay Sally. Before Perfect. we begin, yeah. I don't think we've said it enough tonight. Ellen Druda, eleven dollars. Ellen Druda, eleven. Ellen Druda, eleven. Now she's retired though. So currency it's... converter. She's retired now, Chris. Well, maybe... So fifteen. Oh, more I money. Was about... <laughs> oh, I was going to suggest that she got a seniors discount, but then oh, I was like, Oh, oh, oh you can't seniors. do that. Ooh, <laughs> Sorry, I Ellen. You say that. Maybe wow. just a retiree discount. Now we can edit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor Ellen. Okay. All right. So. <laughs> on that note. Bob, what, what, yeah, on that note, quick, before I say anything else, that will get me back to this podcast for life. Um, <laughs> so, Bob, what did you want to be when you were a child? Uh, believe it or not, I wanted to be a fireman. And I was. I was a fireman Aww. for four years. I served in Bayport, and uh, it was a great experience, great time. Uh, might go back in the future, but uh, that's what I wanted to be. Yeah. Wow. What about you, Chris? Oh, I wanted to be a cop. I wanted to be just like Dad. Mm. I even had then, a pedal car that I had that we had gotten. It was a fireman's pedal car. I'm like, Dad, we got to paint uh-huh. it blue. got to paint it blue and put the NYPD logo on the door. Yeah. My dad was a policeman, and there was no way in hell I was going to be a policeman. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay, so what's your first memory of a library, Chris, and what, what who brought you there for the, the first time? Okay, so I remember, and Bob and anybody from from Patchogue or from Suffolk County is going to get this reference. I remember going for the first time to the Patchogue Medford Library when it was still, when the Carnegie Building was still the original building. Oh wow! Right it was across the street from Reese's nineteen hundred over on yeah. what's the name of that street? I forget. Um, but that was before Briarcliff. Yeah, but way before Bri- right? Briarcliff. So oh. I remember it when they had the building with that huge glass annex. So my first memory was walking in yeah, and then making a right-hand turn and going up these stairs and always looking down because that's what the adult um, area was. And I always mm-hmm. had to make that turn to go up the stairs and the Hardy, Bo- Hardy Boys mystery books were at the top of the stairs. And I remember staring at those books forever. And that's my first memory of a library. So it had to be 1970, I'm going to say 74. I'll go with 74 okay. or 73. Because so my you would have been about now. 17 or 18? Nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How did you oh, just slide up. that in there? That was great. <laughs> Oh, sorry. That was good. (laughs) Very slick. (laughs) What about, no, how old would you have been? (laughs) We just might, you might want to clarify that now. Uh, In 74, I'd be four years old. There you go. Okay, there you go. All right, good. Yes. Okay, how about you, Bob? Uh, First memory of a library was the Bayport Blue Point Public Library. uh, And the first person that brought me there was my mother. I remember I was really quite young and uh, card catalogs. I used to love to bother the librarian to help me search card catalogs. <laughs> oh, really? Yep, that's right. I don't know why. Oh, it was my I... it was my famous paper Google back then, and we used to just love to yeah. search through there with with the librarian and with my mother. It was great. Oh, I used to love the microfiche. Yeah, that's true too. I think maybe it was sort of my first little taste of technology or something. That's Not an sure. idea. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So when did you decide to work in a library, Bob? 
Oh wow, right to me. Okay, um, it's funny because yeah. I was working for the I was working for the school district, and uh, and I actually started out um, at the Suffolk Cooperative Library System, and I was they were looking for a um, somebody that could deliver books and work in the maintenance department over there. And I said, well, I could drive a truck. That was kind of my history. So I said, I could definitely drive a truck and I don't mind books. So let me go give it a shot. And that was the first, it's not a public library, but it's a library service. Um, and it was, and it was fantastic working there. And then, um, they were able to get me into the computer department. And by the grace of God, I started working for public libraries, uh, after that. So, uh, and it's, it was, uh, it was neat. It was kind of like I rolled in, it just kind of fell into it and rolled into it. And I had people skills and, and I was kind of a people person. So, um, just made relationships and, uh, and loved working in libraries. Oh, what about you, Chris? Okay. So, um, going back to, uh, I started in the courts in 1997 and although I loved what I did, I realized there was not a lot of room for advancement. So my wife, uh, was a librarian and, uh, she had worked in the library that she still works in. She started there in high school and worked all the way herself all the way up. Um, very proud of her for that because um, she's gone from the, the bottom to the top. And she had always said, you'd be a really good librarian. And I said, well, hey, I don't know. I, I want to stick with the law. I really like doing this law stuff. And after a while, I started to realize um, I had worked for a judge. So my job was not even though I worked within a civil service environment, I was not protected by civil service. So if the judge died, I would have till the end of that calendar year and then I would be gone. So there goes New York State retirement and all that other stuff. So I had to figure out something else. So um, I'll never forget my first courtroom clerk, because the courtroom clerks who worked for the judges rotated was this woman, he Vivian Hennessy, who I absolutely love to this very same day. She was, uh, she retired, uh, maybe a year after I started, and she said, Chris, even if you never do it, go and get a master's degree because they can never take a master's away from you. So I said, okay. I made the decision in 1999 to go to library school because why not? Um, I was already doing tons of reference work for all the judges because the judges were calling me for stock quotes, and I was the only one that knew how to use the Internet. Now, at the time, I was using uh, Yahoo Finance to give them their stock quotes. And, um, and then they started to have me teach the judges how to do legal research online with Westlaw and Lexis. So my wife was saying, you know, you can do these things in a library, so go get your library degree. So I was fortunate enough that the judge I worked for, his cousin was actually the provost at Long Island University. And uh, I applied, and he made a phone call, and I was able to uh, get into to get my master's. So I started in 99 with the intention of transitioning to the law library in the Supreme Court building in Nassau County. Uh, so mm -hmm. I graduated in May of 2001 with my library degree. And uh, we all know what happened at the end of 2001. And mm -hmm. because of that, all the money that would have gone towards um, making a position available in the building uh, went into security after that. And it never really recovered. So. Uh, long story short, my wife had a baby, mm. uh, our first daughter, and we did the numbers and realized that we would actually save more money not doing daycare and having me staying home. So I left the courts, and I started working at the Longwood Public Library in, I actually just found the letter, um, January of 2002, my hire letter. Mm -hmm. um, and the rest, as I say, is history. I worked part-time there for 13 and a half years. 
Uh, my kids are old enough now where they can let themselves into the house, and then I went full-time at Sachem. So, yeah, that's kind of a longer yeah. way to answer the question. Sorry. No, that's a good answer. I love that um, you can remember when you were the only person in the office who knew how to use the internet. <laughs> yeah, when we were running HDMI cables. It was great. <sighs> wow. And yeah. did, you, did you do your Googling with like uh, your searching with Ask Jeeves? No, at the time, <laughs> Yahoo was powered either by Inktomi or by Google. So we were using Yahoo to uh, search for everything. And then Google decided, why yeah. are we working for these clowns? That's a good one to um, tell your kids that you can remember a time when <laughs> no one knew how to use the internet. And they'll just look at you and go, that's so dumb. Oh, <laughs> do, you guys remember bullet, do you guys remember bulletin boards? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. And BBS yeah. and all that stuff. That's where we started, yeah. Pretty well. Oh, wow. Remember that there was no like wow. there was no search engines or anything like that. It was just you wanted to talk, you got on BBS and you just started chatting away. Or what yeah. about actually connecting to the internet over the phone with the twenty eight hundred board modem? Oh man, and the free AOL discs. Remember those? Oh yeah, and you had to wait like five minutes for a screen to load. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now we're talking to each other using <laughs> one piece of software That's right. from one side of the world to the other. Uh, it's it's Crazy. an amazing thing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. That's enough old people reminiscing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, who is yes. your favorite fictional librarian? I don't know if you've had this answer yet, and, and it's uh, it's pretty neat, I think. Uh, Rupert Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. He's great. <laughs> I thought it was great. Good answer. Yeah, that's a good one. What about you, Chris? Okay, I'm putting my piggy hat on. Batgirl from the Batgirl TV show, from the Batman TV show. Excellent. I Good was job. a little kid when I watched it, and I was enamored with her. Nice. <laughs> so, Chris, what would you be doing if you weren't working in a library? Oh, God. That's hard to say um, because this is the thing I was doing instead of working in the courts. Um, mm. I probably would still be in the courts in one way, shape, or form, or maybe in a district attorney's office if I was lucky enough to find my way in there, or working in a private law firm, I probably wouldn't be very happy unless it was the firm I was in before I went to the courts because they were awesome. And now my buddy who, who was hired at the same time as me as an attorney is a managing partner. So mm -hmm. I know that if it all went to H-E double hockey sticks, I know I could give him a call and say, uh, I still know how to do legal research. Uh, you got a spot? So yeah, I guess I'd still be doing mm -hmm. that or maybe just yeah. selling crap on eBay. So <laughs> So you just be taking your uh, well-developed library transferable skills back to where you were before. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's yeah. like a complete circle. Yeah, cool. What about you, Bob? Um, I think I would be an engineer because I come from a long line of of engineers. Both my grandfathers were engineers, and uh, and they get their troubleshooting and and uh, problem-solving skills, you know, from all that yeah. stuff. I, I'm interested that neither of you have said lying on a beach in. Barbados. <laughs> That's right. Nothing said we didn't have unlimited money, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, this is, you know, come on. Oh, I'd be it's an Aruba. open-ended question. Aruba in a heartbeat. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Or What's maybe your I'd favorite be in section New of the live? What? Maybe Sorry. I'd, maybe I'd be in New South Wales. There you go. You might be in New South Wales. Yeah. yeah. We have beaches here as well. And it doesn't get that cold. And sharks. And, oh, don't even go into that. <laughs> So what's your favorite section of the library, Chris? Is it the podcast booth? 
Well, I was just about to say, get ready to roll your eyes, kids. It's the studio <laughs> at the Sagem Public Library. Oh, no. Nice. no honestly, That's it's, a good answer. It's, it's, it's the answer. makerspace because it's my baby. It's it's what, you know, I was fortunate enough to be uh, asked to, to, to put together. So... I mean, if you were to take that out of the equation, it would be the, probably the the history section. Mm. But if okay. we're talking about anything, you know, like I always say, it started as this question started as, you know, fiction, nonfiction, what section to meaning yeah. anything. It, obviously, the number one thing would be doing my passion, which is working in the makerspace. Yeah. Makes what sense. about you, Bob? Um, I would have to say it's the technology center. Uh, we have quite the technology center where I work, and I like it because it serves everybody um, in one way or another. Mm -hmm. So one, one day you could have kids in there playing Minecraft, and the next day you could have seniors in there getting tech help. Um, so I think that's that's my favorite section. And if you had infinite infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? Is that for me or Chris? Ah, oh, whoever feels like answering. You, you can go first, Bob. <laughs> really? Okay. Um, I guess I would I would add, uh, it's a tough question. And you know what? I knew the questions were coming too. Um, infinite space and budget. <laughs> you really did. 50 we, episodes. We have, a good, yeah, we have a good amount of, <laughs> we have a lot of technology already. So I guess I would just uh, want some more comfy space. You know, I think that's what uh, my particular um. library needs more, more comfy seating and more, um, you know, more historical lampshades where they can, people can just turn on and, and read a book. Um, real, real comfy seating because we have quite an atmosphere. We have an environment where you can look out the window and and see uh, and see our front lawn and whatnot. But uh, we just need more quiet, comfy reading space. I would do that. We have um, National Reading Hour coming up um, this week, and I noticed that a public library uh, are doing. You can book a chair, like book oh, a comfy wow. spot <laughs> for the reading hour. I thought that was a really neat idea. Yeah, that is a great idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about you, Chris? This is a great question because um, I have a list, um, but I don't want to talk about the, the makerspace end of it because, I mean, we could talk about that till you know, until you both are asleep and I'm still talking. I'm sorry. What? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I would do, you know, one thing that I just read is that New York Public was lending out ties and briefcases and, and things like that. Um, mm. And I think that would be something I'd really like to see along with because because Sachem is such a, a large district. Um, it's over 25 square miles. I would love to see a bookmobile that wouldn't just be a bookmobile. Um, Gina Millsap over at uh, Shawnee and Topeka did, did this. They have a, a bookmobile that's a, literally an RV. Um, mm. And they also have uh, two others that are these huge RVs. One has a, ma a rolling makerspace, and another is uh, almost like a Meals on Wheels. Um, so I would love to integrate something like that in Sachem because we, we stretch from, you know, we have a very, very large district for, for Long Island. I think only Smithtown is bigger than us, and that's because they're the whole township. Yeah. Uh, you know, something to go out to the far-flung reaches of, of the district, all the way out to Farmingville or all the way to Lake Grove or all the way down to South Holbrook on Sunrise Highway and bring those library services to the people because – we're really good at doing it in in house, and yeah. I just like to bring it out there and reach out to the rest of the community because sometimes they it's too far for them. So they'll go to Connectquad or they'll go to Pat Med or they'll go to Sayville because it's just too far. Mm -hmm. So library buses are not really a thing over there. Not really because we have interlibrary loans, yeah. so people can even just call and, and um, interlibrary loan something over the phone. And I mean, eventually they have to come and pick it up. Uh -huh. uh, but we have something. Um, 
for people who are homebound, where we'll actually mail the, the material to them too. Um, but I you think oh, that's really okay. Yeah. yeah. So sorry. I, so that's because we have homebound library service, but that's someone usually going to people's houses. I know this is doing just a little bit of readers' advisory, coming back to the library, collecting the books, taking them back again, and we also have like like library buses, big ones and small ones, and yeah, oh, wow, interesting. That's really cool. See, that's something that I'd like to see happen, you know, and not just for Sage I think it would be great if SCLS had something sponsored like that too, where they could make the rounds mm. and, you know, maybe stop in every district, you know, make, make a schedule of a few buses that can go and, and do that kind of thing because there are some places, there are actually some communities that don't have libraries and they are, what, what do they call Bob, contract libraries or something like that? Yeah, contract district libraries. So they'll, if they're close, like Port Jeff has two of them, Miller Place and Mount Sinai. Um, and they can choose to to be a member of Porchef or uh, Comswag, and because um, they're kind of without a library in those two areas, yeah. Right, uh, Rocky Point is another one like not, that too, right? Yeah. But also, not everyone wants to go into the library. It's true. What do you do then? It's true. I mean, I know at one point mm. uh, back, I believe in the early '90s, because uh, Sachem um, and Caroline Tack right now is just clinking glasses, laughing at me. Um, <laughs> if you missed that, then you got to listen to the Merrick, uh, the Merrick Library episode. Um, but I think back in the early 90s, um, Sachem is home to one of the largest transit hubs uh, in the county at, with the Ronkonkoma train station. And at one point, they were bringing a van down there with um, paperbacks to give to the commuters to, you know, that they could check out. But the, the problem with that at the time was... Uh, they can only be Sachem residents, and because that hub serves people from all over eastern Long Island, central Long Island, uh, anywhere from, you know, if you weren't taking the Port Jeff branch up on the North Shore and you weren't taking the, the Montauk line or the Babylon line on the South Shore, you're running through the middle of the island. It's actually the most busy, busy line because all the most of the lines dump into the Ronkonkoma line um, of the, uh, and Sally will roll her eyes at this, the railroad. Um, <laughs> it's an ongoing joke between the two of us. Um, uh, railroad that's yeah. funny yeah it's oldie time words right <laughs> very but, oldie time but uh you know we were doing that at one time and i'd like to see that be brought back now that we have the technology to do self to do either self-checkouts in a, a truck van environment or just be able to use anybody's library card and have them check out a book i think that would be something mm -hmm. that'd be really useful too um, in South Australia over here, they have one library card for all of the services, all of the different library services, public libraries. Wow, that's great. That's kind of so like with, you, with SCLS. Um, your library card is good in any library in Suffolk County. Okay, cool. But some some libraries so, have restrictions, you, so, but, you know, but for the most part, yeah. you can take out materials. What do you love about your library, Bob? Um, I love the fact that we serve everybody so if you're coming in from any sort of background you could be a you could be a, a lawyer you could be someone looking for work you could be uh retired from work for 30 or 40 years uh and we have services for you you know you could be a, a, a teen looking for uh you know games right coming in and renting game systems or, or taking out a game uh you could be a, a child just doing a you know 100,000 books before kindergarten um and we we serve everybody that, that just kind of walks in and is looking for a resource what about you, Chris? There's actually two things that I want to bring up. One is that our administration is so forward-thinking and is not afraid to take a giant leap forward in whatever it is we have ideas about. And 
we we know that whatever we have as an idea and we pitch to them, if they say yes, they're behind us whether we succeed or fail. So I'm I'm proud of that. But one the the one thing that I love the most about my library is the patrons. The, the patrons at Sachem, they appreciate the library. They appreciate what we do. And I'll never forget this. My very first shift at, at Sachem as a part-timer, I got a DVD for somebody, and they gave me a hug. <laughs> and at first I was like, what, what? there's no knife in your <laughs> hand, is there? Um, <laughs> but I, I came back to the desk, and I was working with uh, this woman, Linda, who has since retired. And I said, does that happen here? And in her very low-key kind of way, she looked at me and she kind of shook her head and say, yeah, it happens sometimes. And mm-hmm. you know, when I was at Longwood, you know, the people there are great, but nobody was hugging you. Um, and, the thing, and the other thing that I found that was so fascinating, my first week there, we had a, um, an author who wrote a book about George Lucas. Not about Star Wars, but about George Lucas. And I'm like thinking, okay, they'll get 15 people for this program. The auditorium was packed and reached capacity, and they had to do a uh, spillover into another, um, into another community room. And people came dressed as Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. And they weren't, you know, hired by the library to do that. They came on their own volition dressed like that. Wow. So the patron base that we have at Sachem, I'm going to go out there and say it, could be the best on Long Island. Them's fighting words, Chris. (laughs) Well, can I tell you? I mean, I I really believe it because I've worked in a few libraries. and I've never seen anything like this with regard to the community involvement. Yeah, they just sound so engaged and really into the programs that are run at Sachem. They're into everything we do, and it's great. Mm-hmm. That's great, because that just keep makes you want to do more. Exactly, because you want to hard I, work when you're not getting any feedback, and you can you know you're working away and you're trying to create programs and opportunities for people, and and no one's taking any of them up. It's quite demoralizing. Well, it's actually pretty funny because when I teach an iPhone class or, or any kind of technology class, I get you know the regulars who come and they go, Chris, what's next? What are you going to do next? How are you yeah, going to top this cool. one? And it's like, you That's know, really good. It feels great, but then you're like, oh, no, yeah. I have to do something else. I have to top <laughs> that. <laughs> How am I going to do that? Uh, so what's the weirdest thing that's happened in your library, Bob? Uh, we have – We've had rumors of a ghost at the at the library, uh, so oh. we've we've actually gone back and looked on camera, and one of our maintenance guys would walk in and watch books just just fall off the shelf, and there was no HVAC unit on, and there was nobody else in the building. It's kind of funny, so um, mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting. So you know, you, you'll hear a bang here here and there, and and you'll be in the building alone, and there's really nothing uh, you know that you can find that that made it happen. So yeah, that's definitely the weirdest type of stuff that's happened in our library. For sure, Chris, have you got a ghost? <laughs> You know, it's funny you say that. We always joke that there's a ghost because we have the elevator that's right by the uh, the adult reference desk. And um, people say, you know, the, the elevator creepily opens and closes by itself. Mm. And uh, every oh. once in a while when, when somebody flushes the toilet or runs a sink, there's this moaning sound that comes from the pipes. So the big joke is that, you know, the building is haunted. You can hear that, that in a couple like of more episodes. That, yeah, you can. Actually. Sounds like moaning myrtle. Have you got moaning myrtle from Harry Potter in your That's library? Exactly yeah. what they call it. Sounds it. like That's it. exactly what they call it. <laughs> yeah. um, but, oh, and who's your favorite regular patron, Chris? Oh wow! So uh, I, I've been dying for somebody to ask me this question. Um, I actually have two. I'm going to go back to Longwood for a minute. 
and there was this lovely lady, Mary. Um, she, at the time, God, she's got to be, she was, she would come to all of my iPad classes and then we would do outreach going to a senior community called Leisure Village and she would come to all of them and she was the loveliest woman uh, ever. She, she, at the time she was, I think, 93 or 94, so now she has to be 97. I, she's still alive, I know that. Wow. She was from, um, from Ireland and she would always talk about Ireland and I would show her, she didn't remember a lot from, from class to class, but that didn't matter because she was so lovely to speak to. I could just sit there and talk to her for hours. And I, she kept telling me about the town that she was from. So I would bring up Google Earth, and I'd say, what was your address? And I'd show her her house. And she was always so appreciative. Um, so she was my favorite over at Longwood. So my favorite over at, um, at Sachem is, again, another lovely lady. She's 93 years old. Um, and she always comes to the desk asking. Her name is Margaret Deary. And she always comes to the desk asking about um, movie stars from the past. And she always wants to know, I want to know about this person, like let's say Clark Gable. I want to know about Clark Gable. I want to know about his personal life. I want to know how many times he's married and how many children he had. So I would, you know, gladly print it out. And for everybody who's listened to this podcast knows I'm a Bing Crosby nut. So I would throw some kind of Bing Crosby nugget in there. And... Um, we would go back and forth and have a grand old time, and you just see her eyes light up when I would bring up names that, you know, people my age shouldn't know, like Myrtle McKenzie or, um, you know, um, Al Rinker or, or names like that. And she goes, how do you know this stuff? I said, I'm a nerd. <laughs> and, and I actually, um, my, my daughter is, wants to study film, and I thought, what a great idea that we get her into the, um, into the booth, our recording studio have my daughter shoot it as she's speaking and have her bring pictures in so she, we can ask her about when she was young and about the pictures and about her life and um, film it and take the audio from it and then take those pictures and scan them in and do like a uh, Ken Burns-type mini-documentary about her life for her family. Hmm. So Wonderful. we're in the process of trying to plan that. She's kind of hard to pin down. Um, but whenever she tells stories about when she was young, they're hysterical. They're absolutely hysterical. So I, I love the reference interview with her because it always turns into something more. So, yeah, that's my favorite regular patron. Oh, that's so great. I really hope that happens, that you you get to do that with your daughter. I hope so, Fantastic. too. Yeah. So last question. What are people without library cards missing out on, Bob? Um, I think you're missing out on everything, uh, especially excitement and, <laughs> and excitement, engagement. I mean, there's so much going on. You know, not just things like databases, but libraries today are not what you think they, they used to be, you know, not even just a couple of years ago. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they have 3D printers and they have all kinds of stuff that you can do. Um, and when you go in, they have the resources to do it. You know, um, we have a lot of things that I, I think they're missing out on that, that they may uh, from years ago think that libraries are all about. And when you come in a library today, uh, for folks that haven't been in there, it's a lot different than they used to be. You know, we're, not all yeah. about books. we're not all about books anymore, right? It's definitely not the library from your childhood. No, and we're so involved in the communities now, too. Like, if there's mm -hmm. something going on in the community, you'll see the library there. Uh, we'll have a booth. Mm -hmm. We'll have a table. You know, the libraries have marketing departments now and, and social media experts. And, you know, at our library, we have uh, Lisa DeVerta and Jen Mullen. They run our social media and, and marketing department, and they are fantastic, you know. And mm -hmm. they're always out in the community and always engaging with folks. And uh, they really make our library exciting, uh, just doing that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. What about you, Chris? It, what are people missing out on? Everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have Aww. so many services that are available digitally, whether we have Canopy or Hoopla or, you know, Libby or Overdrive. There are all these different services that you have that are available now that weren't available before. Like we had just gotten Canopy over the past few months and it's mm-hmm. just a wonderful service. There's so service, yeah. yeah, there there's it's really good. And Hoopla is like the unsung hero because they have audiobooks yeah. and movies. Uh, and you know, people always come up and say, "Well, I need consumer reports about tires and I can't find it in the issue." Well, we have we have the database. We can search that. There's so many elements digitally that people don't even realize we have, like All Data Pro for car repair. Um, I always get a kick out of the mechanics who are coming in. Their hands are all dirty and greasy, and they're they're coming and jumping onto All Data Pro. Um, and you know the makerspace stuff too. I mean, I can't speak enough. I can't. Yeah, I, I can talk about the makerspace stuff forever. You know, there's so many different things that you can do at the library you weren't able to do before. So it's more mm-hmm. like Bob said. It's more than just the books. We're not giving up books. Books are always going to be a component of what we do. That's right. Um, but in the same breath, you know, for those people who said. Oh, you know, uh, VHS. Who, who needs video cassettes? We need, but we need, you know, buy more books, and then it turned to DVDs, <laughs> and then it turned to internet access, and it turned to all these other things. And one grouchy old man came up to me one day and says, "Since when did the libraries get involved in entertainment?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> I pointed to the fiction collection. I said, well, they've been in there in, in the entertainment field since they started writing fiction, no- fiction and novels and and short stories and things like that." Yeah. So he gave yeah. me a grumpy since look. Since the Gutenberg press. Yeah. The answer to that. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so the answer is they're missing a lot, and and people really are missing yeah. out, and that's the sad part. So, you've made it to the end. We survived, Bob. Of your we own interview, our own podcast interview. Well done. Wow. I'm so proud of both of you. It's really <laughs> stressful, isn't it? <laughs> it's definitely interesting being on the other side. Yeah, of yeah, yeah it totally it is. is. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you'll be kinder. No, I'm sure you're very kind to your guests anyway, but it definitely puts a different perspective on it, I think. Yeah. So it really does, yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing your your knowledge and your thoughts and, and your backgrounds. I always think that's really interesting and very useful for people, um, you know, just to hear the stories of, of other library people and where they've come from and where they're going and, and, and why we do the work that we do. Um, yeah so thank you on behalf of all your listeners and congratulations on 50 episodes it is an absolutely mammoth effort um, knowing how much time and effort goes into recording editing just the whole podcasting gig is is a lot of work so congratulations to both of you um yeah for 50 episodes it's just brilliant will you come back for 100 you gotta come yeah if i'm still alive (laughs) wow it won't be that long. Come on. No, I know. Oh, what have I just said? No, yes, I don't I'll come know. back yeah, for be careful. <laughs> And I think we just maybe lost half our listeners all... too. <laughs> maybe the hundred will be in the booth, everyone together. There you go. That's an that's, idea. That's, that's something to work towards. Maybe that's a little goal. So, Chris, you're going to love this. Yeah. I'm pre-ordering the iPhone XS Max. Are you? <laughs> Which? How many gigs? Two fifty-six or five twelve? Yeah, I'll probably get the five. I, sp- I sprung for the for the big one. I got to give this one to my wife, and I'll get the big one. Wow, that's impressive. Aww. I'm still on the fence, and if I do, I'm only going two fifty six. I don't. I have a two fifty six now, and it's only thirty percent full. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I understand go big or go home, but how much bigger do you need to go? So I'm yeah. I'm actually going to wait for you 
Really? Yeah. That's the first. It is a first. I was the first. I had gotten the 6 Plus first before you and the 7 Plus before you. Oh, that's when you went yep. through your whole Google Pixel phase. I did. I were so off topic now, Sally. Sorry, but it's a true story. Okay, look, listen, Apple nerds, just I was stop for a minute and we'll take this offline. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so have you got anything that you want to uh, tell people about before we wrap it up? Turbot and Duck. Turbot and Duck. No. <laughs> okay. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on one sec. Hold on, hold on. Turbot and Duck, purveyors of cultural expertise. Uh, there you go. And library sass since 1885. Quack, quack. Mm. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so um, as I've already mentioned at the top of the show, I'm one half of Turbot and Duck, which is an Australian library podcast. The best one. If you're one. interested in what's happening. If you're interested in what's happening in the Australian and sometimes New Zealand library world, you can listen via your favourite podcast app or on our website, turbotn for nellyduck.com, so turbotnduck.com. We also have a great Facebook group called The Fish Pond where we share ideas and just talk about library stuff and uh, it's a really great place if you want to find out some information or you want to ask a question. It's a really supportive bunch of people. So you can find our page on Facebook, just search for Turbot and Duck and you can join the group via there. And if you're interested in my personal take on libraries and professional development, I um Try to blog frequently. <laughs> uh, you can visit my website, which is just my name, sallyturbot.com. Thanks for having me. I'm very honoured and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Over to you, Chris and Bob. Thank Close you Robert. for coming. This is great. Thank you for hosting, actually, because uh, hosting. we couldn't – I don't think anybody else would want to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that didn't – you know what? You didn't want to tell her that before this whole segment, right? <laughs> oh, that's too much. Oh, wow. So – um what more can we say right that's all the time we have <laughs> yeah that's all the time we have for this edition and if you have any questions or comments on our show drop us a line at the contact us section of the website uh the librarypros.com and we'll have links and photos from this episode on the site it is especially pictures of sally turbot so visit us on turb i almost said turbot can you believe that visit us on turbot Visit us on Twitter at, at The Library Pros or on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Library Pros. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And um, remember the opinions stated by The Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and Sally and are not those of the Sage Public Library, the MS, Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. So we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.